We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. I'm reading from the 84th Psalm. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and a swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will still be praising thee, Salah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, and whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength, every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. Anytime David mentions Zion, he is speaking of the tabernacle of David. There are two mountains that exist in Jerusalem, Mount Moriah and Mount Zion. On Mount Moriah was the tabernacle of Moses, where the blood offerings and the sacrifices were offered on the evenings and mornings every day of the year. And then especially on the Day of Atonement, the high priest went in the Holy of Holies to offer the sacrifice of atonement. But in the tabernacle of Zion, there were no animals, there was no blood. It was David had hired singers and dancers and musicians, and it was a tabernacle of total worship where they praised and honored God. And so what David is saying is that in the house of Zion, that you always appear before God. There's a statement in one of the Psalms that when we worship God, all we see is the devil's taillights as he's leaving the country. Amen. If you want to drive Satan out of your life, just start worshiping God. O Lord, God of Jacob, O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold, our God is a shield. And look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. Don't you feel that way? I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. And then a few verses in 1 Kings chapter 20, verses 23 through 28. And the servants of the king of Syria said unto him, Their gods are gods of the hills, Therefore they were stronger than we. But let us fight them against them in the plain, and surely we will be stronger than they. And do this thing, take the kings away, 
every man out of his place and put captains in their rooms. They were just protecting the kings from exposure to battle. And number thee an army like the army that thou hast lost. Horse for horse, chariot for chariot, and we will fight against them in the plain. And surely we shall be stronger than they. And he hearkened unto their voice and did so. And it came to pass at the return of the year that Benadad numbered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were numbered and were all present and went against them. And the children of Israel pitched their tents, were pitched before them like two little flocks of kids. But the Syrians filled the country. And there came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is a God of hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore will I deliver all of this great multitude into thine hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. I want to talk to you a little time this morning on the lessons of Baca. In Psalms 84, David wears a tired, distraught face. His familiar friend, the harp, lays tuneless at his side. His shoulders are stooped by the burden of the problems that he faces within his kingdom. The pain of his heart is reflected in his eyes. The deep lines on his face tell a story of chaos and brokenness and sorrow. He has fled Jerusalem to avoid conflict with his son Absalom. Absalom had dwelt two year, full years in Jerusalem after having been restored from slaying his half-brother Amnon, who raped the sister of Absalom, a girl by the name of Tamar. But the Bible says of Absalom in those two years of dwelling in Jerusalem that he saw not the king's face. When you go a period of time without observing God's face, there's tragedy ahead for you. Ahithophel, who was the grandfather of Uriah, had been a counselor of David for decades. When Absalom rebelled against his father, and his father chose to flee Jerusalem rather than to accost his son, Ahithophel joined Absalom in his rebellion. And the Bible said that David feared the counsel of Ahithophel more than he did all the armies of Israel. And so Ahithophel went to Absalom one day and told him, Give me 10,000 out of two tribes, 20,000 troops. I think I know where David and his band of men are camped. We will ascend on them and destroy them and kill your rival to the throne. But there came a servant of David, Hushai, uh, who was also a counselor. 
And David said to him, Hushai, you can't do me a lot of good uh, traveling with me in this company of men. I'd like for you to go and join the camp of Absalom. And I want you to kind of infiltrate uh, because I know that Absalom will uh, regard your counsel. And maybe you can somehow subvert the counsel of Ahithophel. And so when... uh, Ahithophel went to Absalom and uh, told him of his plan to uh, assault the troops of David. Uh, Absalom said, let me me see what Hushai has to say about that. And so he went to Hushai, and Hushai said, no, said, David's too smart for that. He, He understands that he's ripe for ambush. So if you go through with that plan, you're just going to lose uh, most of that 20,000 troops. So Absalom told Ahithophel that, no, I have counseled with Hushai. He has counseled me against that. We won't do that. The Bible said when Ahithophel heard what Absalom said, he went back to Jerusalem, set his house in order, and hung himself, which became the downfall of Absalom. David longed to return to Jerusalem. It was not the palace that he missed, nor was it his throne or his crown, but he missed the tabernacle, that ugly old badger skin tent in which housed the beautiful tapestry and the gold on the inside. That's the way of the church. Looking from the, at the church from the outside, it doesn't look all of that promising. You have to be on the inside of the church. It's where its beauty is. It's where its fellowship is. It's where its companionship, its encouragement, its love is. It's on the inside. The church never looks that beautiful from the outside. From David's vantage point, he could hear the faint blast of the trumpet announcing the morning sacrifice. He could see the curling wisp of smoke as it lifted off of the altar again of the morning sacrifice. He watched a multitude flowing into the tabernacle that he cannot join on their way to worship. And so he exclaims, a day in thy courts is better than a thousand I'd take a day in God's house with God's people than on any beach or any amusement park or any tourist destination that you could offer me. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. I'd rather be a janitor in the house of God than a billionaire without God. Amen. I understand what David meant. But he said when passing through the valley of Baca, Baca in the Hebrew means weeping or to bemoan. David, the valley of Baca was evidently a very dark, foreboding, and dreary place for David to find himself in. David felt that he was in the valley of weeping, both spiritually, relationally, and physically. David intended not to just endure this valley, not just to survive but he was going to transform it. 
He felt like, I can't be in God's tabernacle, but there's nothing stopping God from being where I am. That's one thing I have always been assured of in this quarantine. I may not always be able to be in his house, but he is always able to be in my house. Praise God. Praise God. God can be where I am in my trouble. If I can make a well in my circumstance, if I can dig a well in my valley and in my situation, I will make a well. David didn't wait for the passing of time to give him a future. He dug a well in the valley of his present. Every child of God needs to learn how to dig a well in your un comfortable circumstance in your uncomfortable situation the disciples wanted out of the storm but Jesus wanted more than that for them he wanted them to walk on the storm we can only see Jerusalem from afar off and then we are blind to the well that is at our feet it's so easy to miss the obvious it is so easy one of the things that I've learned about Facebook puzzles, people post them often on Facebook, is that the solution is all, always, almost always in a very obvious place. Because the puzzle kind of tells you that I need to look where it's not obvious to find the answer. We are adept at missing the obvious. In my career as a fisherman, I have sometimes been amused as fishermen upon the bank who don't have a boat, have to be confined to the bank, take their rods and cast as far out in the lake as they can cast. And fishermen in the boat trail up by the bank so they can cast in the shallow waters and fish the bank. I think the fish see the crossing lines in, in the lake and are kind of confused, say, I don't think they know what they're doing up there. Uh... You know, we have these vacation guides, these travel guides, telling us that it's better where we are than where you are. Do you know that there are more than 2 million people that travel outside of the state into Texas every year to vacation here? They go to spots that we who grew up here never visit, we never see. They come and visit them because they find them. I remember I had been preaching revivals in the San Joaquin Valley of California, which is central California. The pastor where we prayed through in Arizona called me and wanted me to come home and preach a revival. And so I had a few days uh, break between the two meetings, so I took the family to the Grand Canyon. We found a place to park the travel trailer that we pulled behind us in evangelizing, and I found a place that was kind of remote. There was a fire pit somebody had built there, and there were no fire warnings as usually exist in northern Arizona that, present, that prevent campfires. And so I set up the trailer, and it's all self-contained, has its own electrical system, and the refrigerator runs off propane. And so we set up for a few days of camping. And... Uh, we had bought a little toy poodle in California a few weeks before that the girls just couldn't find a name for. And so I built a fire that night, and we were roasting mar marshmallows and making s'mores. And uh, so I 
went into the camper to get some sweaters for the kids and the family. And when I went in, I found a blanket. And so I picked it up and carried it around and hung it on the back of the travel trailer and took everybody their sweaters. And while they were occupied making s'mores and roasting marshmallows, I slipped behind the trailer and I got that blanket and threw it over my head. And I come around the, t- the trailer and lifted my arms and growled like a bear. The kids laughed. And the poodle jumped right in the middle of the fire. It singed most of the hair off his tail, but we checked him over. There were no blisters and no burn on his skin. So he got a name from that day forward. We called him Shadrach. (laughs) And Shadrach was a spiritual dog. That dog had been baptized in Jesus' name at least 150 times by those girls. In fact, they taught him. They had watched me work the altars in, in revival. And, you know, I, my deal was generally I'd talk to them as individuals, give them a little lesson on faith, and then I'd tell them, I'm going to lay my hands on you. The, you're going to feel the power of the Holy Ghost, and this is what I want you to do. And so they'd take that little dog, and they'd set him in front of them, and they'd say, now I'm going to lay my hands on you. I want you to raise your hands, and when I lay my hands on you, the Spirit's going to come, and I want you to speak in tongues. And they'd lay their hands on that dog. He'd sit on his hind, lift his little legs, and start yapping up a storm. Now, Revelation said there's no dogs in heaven. I know it's talking about Gentiles there or heathens, but I know one dog that's going to be in heaven, that Shadrach. As Irma Bombach said, the grass is always greener over the septic tank. In Psalms 23, David learned to walk through the valley. In Psalms 84, he learned to dig a well in the valley. One translation says, use it for a well. I think if we can somehow right now in our spiritual lives, instead of looking further in the future for our hope and our promise and a visitation of God, I think we need to look deeper in the bosom of the present because the answer is right now. The Valley of Vaca tells me that life is not altogether about the future. I've heard more people in the last month or so talk about, I want to see things get back to normal. That's what I do not want to see. I do not want to see America get back to normal. I do not want to see the world return to normal because normal says the abortion clinics are going to start killing babies again. Normal says crime is going to become rampant again. Normal says that people are going to go back and forget God. Remember how close to us God felt after 9-11. And it was that way for a year or two or maybe three. But now it's almost a forgotten memory. Yeah, we we, uh, remember it annually, but it really doesn't have the powerful impact. You know, don't misunderstand me. I want to live as long as God allows me to live. But I do not understand destroying one of the greatest economies in the world to protect the vulnerable and the elderly. I thought that crowd believed in evolution. I thought they believed in survival of the fittest. 
I can't understand mortgaging my children and grandchildren's future to save me. If I don't have enough sense to stay out of harm's way, if I don't have enough sense to quarantine myself, then my idiocy will take care of my dumbness. But I'm off subject. Hope is powerful. It has seen me through many a dark place in my life. On death row, hope is almost always present. Because the inmate thinks about the possibility of an appeal or his sentence being commuted or perhaps even a stay of execution. But when the inmate enters that death chamber, the moment of truth is realized and hopelessness pervades that scene. I would never want to fall into the hands of a doctor who said to me, There's no hope for your survival. I wouldn't want to fall in the hands of an attorney who told me that there was no hope that this court scene and this court event is not going to work into my favor. I wouldn't want to fall into the hands of a preacher who had given me no hope for for my future and my life. The Bible speaks of the unbeliever, that he is without God and having no hope. Having no hope and without God. Hal Lindsey, in the introduction of his book, says that a man can live 40 days without food, about 10 days without water, about 4 minutes without air, but not 1 second without hope. Hope keeps excellent company. Faith and love are often the companions who companion with hope. As I've said often, only in God can you start with trouble and end with hope. Because tribulation worketh patience. Patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is in us. In this time of trouble... There is, at the end of all of this, hope for the children of God. Amen. We can look with hopeful into the future. We can look for with hope in the present. If we can just dig a well and find God in today and not postpone him till tomorrow. The Bible said, use it for a well. Use it. A tree. What is a tree? It's a tree. A tree is just material, raw material. The possibilities of a tree are countless. What it becomes is dependent upon whose hands it is in. What are their talents? How much skill do they possess? How much insight do they have to see what to take out of that tree and make out of it? One group hollowed it out and made a canoe. And it became their communication link and their transportation link between villages that most of American colonies were set along rivers. Another segments it into lumber and builds a home. Another cuts it, lets it age and splits it and builds a fire out of it. Beyond mere nature, what is a church? What is a church? 
To some, it is nonsense. It is ignorance. It is just an opiate for those who are weak in nature and weak in mind. For others of us, it is an anchor of hope. It is a place of love. We are the bride. We're on our way to a fabulous wedding. The problems and the trials of life are just raw material. God said to Adam, whatever name you call it, that's what it shall be. I'm going to use my valley. I'm going to give it a name. I'm not going to let the world name it for me. I'm not going to let the world call it a valley of weeping. I'm going to make it a valley of wells. I'm going to make it feed me, sustain me, because I have learned that God is at his best in the valley. I know he is the Christ of every crisis. I know that God is omnipresent. I know that everywhere he is there in equal dimension, in equal quantity, in equal quality, and in equal presence. David understood that the same God that was in the tabernacle with those worshipers was the same God that was with him in his trouble and in his peril. The valley seemed to be not where God is powerless, but it just seems to me it's where he is at his best. Because in our weakness, Paul said his strength is perfected. If you want to know how good a boat is, you can never tell by it sitting on a trailer in the yard. A boat needs water. It needs water to prove its worth. I love that old Andre Crouch song, If I Never Had a Problem. How would I know if God could solve them? How would I know if my faith could see me through? But through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. That through it all, I've learned to trust in God. Because the Syrian said, God is just a God of the hills, but he doesn't have any power in the valleys. God took that serious. The first mention of valleys in Scripture is found in the 23rd chapter of Numbers and in the first chapter of Deuteronomy. And it tells the story of 12 spies who were sent into the land of Canaan to spy out the land before the children of Israel would enter in it. The Bible said the 12 spies went up through the mountains, and there's no record of them finding anything of benefit to bring back from the mountains. But when they went into the valley of Eskel, they found vineyards of grapes, and one cluster of grape required the strength of two men to strap that cluster of grape across a pole and carry it back into the wilderness in the camp of, of Israel. They found those clusters of grapes, again, not on the mountaintop, but in the valley. In Judges 4, there was a woman who was judging Israel by the name of Deborah. Beware, church, if you sentence all the women to subordinate places. They do have their place in leadership in the kingdom of God. This Judges 4 tells the story of Deborah and Sisera. Sisera was known as a mighty, mighty warrior. 
He had 900 iron chariots on which he had knife blades welded to the spokes of the chariot so they could drive them through the troops of infantry and mow them down like grass. He also had a powerful, powerful army. But Deborah had Barak choose men out of Nephtali and Zebulun to go fight with Sisera in the valley of Kidron. And so when they went down in the valley, uh, God rained hailstones on the armies of Sisera. He caused the rain to fall that caused the chariots to bog up to their axles and, and to become stuck in the mud in the Kindron Valley. And so Israel easily defeated them and wiped them out. Only Sisera escaped. He escaped and he ran and he found a tent in a little Jewish village. And he found a little woman there by the name of Jael. And he promised Jael a healthy, a healthy reward if she would hide him and cover him from being discovered by the army of Israel. So Jael gave him some milk and uh, gave him a blanket to cover him. And he drank the milk and fell asleep. And she slipped in the tent with a nail and a hammer and drove the nail right through his temple and nailed his head to the floor of the tent. None of the army escaped. And Israel sang the song of Deborah because God's at his best in the valley. Now, I know he is really everything he is the same anywhere he is. But there just seems to be so many instances in Scripture where God was just seemed to be at his best in the valley. David and Goliath, David met Goliath in the valley of Elah. And you know the story. David slew the giant, not on the mountaintop, but he slew him in the valley. But David came out of that valley not just with his hide, but he came out with Goliath's sword, with his armor, with his head, with his spear, with his shield. I want to come out of this valley equipped with more spirituality, with more worship, with more grace, with more mercy, with more forgiveness, with more gratefulness, with more commitment than I've ever had in my life. David, as an old man, David was known as the worshipful king. He said, I will praise the Lord. He said this as an old man. I will praise the Lord yet more and more and more. I'm going to find new ways to praise God, new ways to worship God, new ways to magnify God. Praise God. In Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel in prophecy witnessed one of the greatest revivals in a valley of dry bones. It was the prophesying of the rise and recovery of Israel and their return from captivity. You know the old spiritual that the toe bones connected to the 
foot bone, the foot bone's connected to the ankle bone, the ankle bone's connected to the leg bone, the leg bone's connected to the knee bone, the knee bone's connected to the thigh bone, the thigh bone's connected to the hip bone, the hip bone's connected to the back bone, the back bone's connected to the neck bone, the neck bone's head connected to the head bone. Hear ye the word of the Lord. In the valley, from the metal of test, joy bells are cast. The trumpets of triumph are forged. It's in the valley where I lie down in green pastures. It is in the valley where I'm led by still, quiet pools of water. It is in the valley where he leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It is in the valley that he is with me. And that's one place I can fear no evil. It's in the valley where his rod and his staff comfort me. It is in the valley where he prepares a table for, before me in the presence of mine enemies. It's in the valley that he anoints my head with oil. It's in the valley that he restores my soul. It's in the valley that I drink from an overflowing cup. It's in the valley that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The best advertisement for a roofer is not sunshine. It's rain. The best advertisement for a church is not the mountaintop, but it's the valleys where the storm comes, where the floods rise, where the house is built on the rock in the valley, in the valley. There are two valleys that are mentioned in the Old Testament, and I'm coming to a close. One by John the Baptist and the other one by John the Revelator. In Luke 3, it said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain shall be brought low. And the crooked will be made straight and the rough way will be made smooth. It's what Zechariah prophesied, that in the evening time, at the darkest time in the world, there shall be light. Amen. Revelation tells us that it occurs in the plain of Jezreel in a valley called Megiddo. A war between the beast, the false prophet, and the Antichrist and Jesus Christ and 10,000 hosts of his saints. Jesus is going to take that statement that he's just God of the hills and not of the valleys, and he's going to cram it down the devil's throat. This is my evidence that God is at his best in the valleys because he's going to take out the devil not on a mountaintop 
Not on a mountaintop of Moriah. Not on a mountaintop of Sinai. Not on the mountain of Zion. But he's going to take him on in the valley of Jezreel. I know he's almighty everywhere. I know he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But hell doesn't know that. Hell thinks valleys are God's Achilles heel. You see, Satan only bruised the heel of Jesus. But Jesus is going to stomp his head. You know where the venom of a snake is? It's in its head. I want to be like David. I want to leave this valley with all of Satan's weapons. I want to leave more with more than what I entered into this valley with. Ephesians tells us that Jesus is seated in heavenly places. Not just a little bit above, but far above. Principalities, powers, might, dominions. And that everything is under his feet. That he is the head of the church, which we are his body. Now the body generally dwells pretty close to where the head sits. You don't find the body distant from where the head is. You find the body, as it said, the neck bone's connected to the head bone. Can you say I'm on top of this? Yeah. The church is on top of this. I tell you. I called Don a couple weeks ago. And I said, I'm hanging up my spurs. I said, I'm not preaching anymore. I told him, I said, you know, since my event almost six years ago now, my short-term memory, I can't leave a room and go to the next room and remember what I went in that room for. I used to be able to preach a message and hardly ever look at my notes, and now I'm bound to the notes because I can't remember what my next thought was. I said I'm through. But I'm here to tell the devil today I intend to do my best preaching in the future. I intend to do my best preaching in, the se- in my 70s and beyond. I intend to, like David, to be a greater worshiper than I have ever been. Amen. My best worship, my best prayer, my best service. It's not behind me. It's in front of me. Just like Jesus, I'm saving my best for last. Why don't we as a church save our best for these last days? Our best worship, our best commitment, our best sacrifice, our best initiative. Let's put everything into our living for God. Let's withhold nothing. Let's don't be like Ananias and Sapphira and hold back part from God. To reserve part of it for some future day. But I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to give you all, God. I'm going to serve you.
Magnify the Lord with me. Hallelujah. Let's worship him together today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As they lead us in worship, I want to do more and more and more and more and more and more. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather, and you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.